You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. We are live. This is Inside Carolina. It is football season, fellas. This is our pre-camp, pre-training camp roundtable. Jason Staples and I will be together on Wednesday night after the first open practice. Um, of course, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. That is Buck Sanders, El Jefe, Taylor Vipolis, and Greg Barnes making an appearance on the show for the first time, on the football show for the first time, I guess, since when, Greg? Was it the Oregon? And you're muted, too. I get to say it. First off. I feel like I did one in uh, spring, but it, it may that may have been a basketball one. So. It is a... Uh, I can't remember. It's been a long time. Shout out to the 100 folks that are in here. Look, if you want to get in on this podcast, drop questions in the chat. I'll do my best to point them out, ask them to the guys. Um, Also, let us know where you're watching from. We've got a lot of people. Somebody was in the Middle East watching the other day, which is wild. So thank you for your service there, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Buck Sanders, I'll start with you. It feels like. The Oregon game just got played, and here we are on July 31st getting ready for preseason camp. Where does the time go, my man? Well, uh, you're asking the wrong one, I think. Uh, Every day is like the next one to me at this time of life, so uh, (laughs) might ask some some of the young guys. Uh, Taylor, does time fly like it does for us old guys? You know what? I've been watching more and more highlights as the season, as the off season has kind of gone along, and I'm I'm kind of there with you where it does feel like uh, the Oregon game just happened, but at the same time, it is a weird feeling where it, it feels like we've been missing that that football fix for a while. And uh, starting starting this week, I guess with the NFL Hall of Fame game, it, it's nice to know that from now until Super Bowl week, there there's going to be some kind of football. Yeah, it's hard to believe that. I guess you're right. There's a football game, at least one football game a week for the next four or five months. Pretty insane. Greg, I'll get you in here first. Um, A lot to prove, I think, for North Carolina this year. And as camp opens, players and everybody report tomorrow, August 1st, camp opens on the 2nd. Um, In in your mind, what gets proven first? I'll leave it that 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 wide open for you right out the gate. 
Yeah, that's that is wide open. Uh, so I really think I'm going to boil this down to simplistic measures, and we can dive in depth as much as you want as we go along. Uh, but I think the defensive line is going to tell us how this team ultimately fares this year. Uh, yes, there's a lot of new secondary pieces, both players and a new corners back coach, uh, which is a big part of what the defense wants to do. Um, and then in terms of offense, yeah, you got a new offensive line coach. You have a new offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey. Probably going to do things a little bit different than what Phil Longo did. Not a whole lot different. Um, I don't expect when you have a guy like Drake May at quarterback, there's going to be a, a ton that changes. And so I expect the offense to be about the same, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. Uh, but it really comes down to that defensive line. And then Mac Brown has, has made some changes. Uh, I know, you know Tim Cross is still a defensive line coach, which has been a talking point this offseason. But this is a team that won nine games last year. Yes, they lost five. And I think some of where the angst comes from uh, is that Carolina was the first non-win team to lose to close the season losing four straight. So you have this strange dynamic of where Carolina was nine and one going into Georgia Tech. Everybody kind of was starting to pencil them in as a dark horse CFP uh, contender. And then the wheels came off. And so it's just really a, a strange dichotomy of there was so much potential, even though there was some uh, sketchy play there for a while. And then the house of cards kind of came tumbling down. So was last year a fluke or was last year some needed growing pains to really set up for this season to explode and legitimately challenge for the ACC in the first year here without division play since, what, 2003, 2004? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around it. I was talking to the Miami guys earlier in the week um, for a little segment I did with them, and it's weird. Um, Vip and I talked about not having that Miami game every year. Of course, they play this year. Um, but, Buck, um, I asked you the same question. And somebody said, no Jason Staples, but will not need his hourglass tonight. Uh, I have it handy just in case. So. <laughs> MLB right started here. the pitch clock, and it's <laughs> it's revolutionized the game. Baseball is so bad. That's, there, that's all we need. I know, and, and attendance is up crazily in baseball. So there we go. I need to figure out how to get a clock on the screen. I can throw one up, but I think it takes us all away. But what gets proven first, and, and what are you looking for? to be proven first. I, I think I think folks somehow, and Mac makes this point a lot, and I started to agree with him maybe more and more, that they did win nine games. Nobody likes the last taste. It's like if you eat a great steak like I just ate, and if the last piece is terrible, that's all you remember. Well, that's kind of what we're going on. So for you, going into camp, what needs to be proven first? Well, the, the first four weeks uh, of camp, you know, you're, you're trying to get everything that you've been working on all season long put back together, I believe, is how it goes. Vip is probably the one that can talk on this better than I can. But where, where they need to uh, solidify things, two spots, offensive line, defensive line. Um, I, think the, the, I think the secondary is going to be okay. Um, I think the offense will be okay. Um, and linebackers will obviously be okay. Uh, so I think we're looking at the offensive line. Hope that there's no injuries there. 
look for whatever movement there might be there. Uh, there's some guys like uh, Trevion Green, uh, you know, Diego Pounds, other people. Maybe you'd like to see them get in the action a little bit. But mainly it's the uh, defensive line, offensive line. Those are the two areas to be concentrating on. The, the thing that strikes me about this team uh, is that I'd have to go back a ways and check, but I can't remember one this experienced. This is a very experienced team. I, I looked out of curiosity. I went back today and looked at uh, some of the numbers for starts. The the guys that are starting in the uh, on the two deep in the secondary have 143 starts. Uh, the uh, guys that are starting on the DL the two deep, 103 starts. The two deep on the at linebacker, 39 starts. All together, 285 starts uh, on the the starting or the two deep on defense. Uh, that's just the defensive side of the ball, but you get the point. There's a lot of experience there, and you know I, I kind of think you know we had this thing back in the day, uh, the old uh, we had a fella now who is uh, departed from uh, this earth that came up with a t-shirt said no excuses i forget what year that was you remember it greg 2010 2010 maybe yeah yeah when we did our own trinity experiment in uh canaan stadium um, <laughs> uh, that is man you bring back some some great memories and some bad ones in just like one sentence <laughs> any, anyway uh you know that 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 uh, that year, he put the no excuses on there. I mean, really, did, shouldn't that apply to this year? I mean, they they're experienced up and down the roster. They got a good special teams unit. Um, the offense should be top ten, top fifteen, um, and and the defense is. A lot of guys in there have played a lot of football. I was looking at the defensive line. There's not a single person, hardly with uh, under nine starts, and several of them are double digits. These guys are not just new to the game; they they have got their feet wet already. So, um, I, I think you know it's time to just see what you got, and they should have something this year. We'll see. Buck referencing Oppenheimer, which I saw last night. If you haven't seen that movie, you, you got to have three hours plus to go see it. Um, but go check it out. It is it is interesting. Vip, I want to ask you the proven first question, but I also want to ask you, you've been a player in these camps. Um, you, you've done this. What is the mood like coming into camp? Just You've worked all summer. You worked in the spring. You worked all summer. Now it's here. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of like the no excuses thing, but from your experience as a player in this arena, what is it like for these guys getting ready to get ramped up? Yeah, it, it kind of varies year to year and what your team's goals are. But I would say the general consensus is that you come into training camp super excited. Uh, you, It's why you train. It's why you, you do all the practices to, to lead up to the games. Uh, you haven't been out on a field in, in that kind of competitive environment for a while. Uh, but by like the third day when you, the days all start to blend together and you can't remember 
what day of the week it is. You don't really remember anything from, from the outside world when you're just confined to the Keenan Football Center, get on a bus, go to the Aloft Hotel, get on a bus, go back to the Keenan Football Center. Uh, so by day three, it really starts to drag and, and you can kind of see, you know, who who is able to handle it and who doesn't handle it well. Um, but also if you're a team that has a lot of older player led leadership, I think the training camp, the grind of a training camp isn't as bad because you guys are just so focused on the ultimate team goals that this team has. And the point that I wanted to touch on too is Greg mentioned like the angst of the fan base, the angst of this Carolina program. And it's because a lot of fans can see the writing on the wall that Drake may is the best quarterback that this school has ever had. And he's going to be the best quarterback that this school has had for, for quite some time. It seems like with him being a, a projected top five pick. So the fan base is looking at it and saying, this is our window this season, essentially to go from Mac Brown has talked from good to great. And they, they win nine games last year. Most fans would have signed up for, for nine wins at the beginning of the year. But if you were told at the beginning of the year too, Hey, you have the best quarterback or, you know, a top three quarterback in college football, and you're going to start nine and one, do you still sign up for, for nine wins? Nobody's taking that and everybody's taking their chances with, with how the season kind of finished out. So I think that's where a lot of the nerves come from entering the season, knowing that this is essentially your last year with Drake May and that Carolina has to capitalize on this. Uh, the question was, what what's going what to be proven? What needs to be proven first? Oh. Yeah, it's, it's Carolina has to win in the trenches. It's going to start there. Uh, you have to win the the ugly football before it really matters what you're doing, stretching the field vertically like I think Chip Lindsey is going to try to do this year with some of the options he has in, in Tez Walker and Nate McCollum. Uh, but I think there's ways that Carolina can kind of counter that if if the offensive line isn't, isn't doing that well. Uh, you saw a bit of it in that all-access where Carolina mentioned uh, a more um, – a, a willingness – to, to move the pocket for Drake may, because I, I think they know that that offensive line isn't up to the standard of, of where some of Carolina's other position groups are when you have guys like you do at receiver, the town at running back or, or the quarterback Drake may, you know, Greg dipped out and think he's having a little bit of technical issues there. I, I had a question for him coming back, but Buck, I'll bring it to you. Um, you talked about the experience and I'll just bring in one of the, the questions uh, i mean and it's a common theme and like it or not it's somewhat accurate brian bean says being experienced and being good are different in regards to defense now i will say that w we can debate whether they got better what the numbers show whatever but to your point buck and i want you to discuss uh, they simply have to be better you know i don't think there's i don't i don't think there's any it, it is a systematic, complete destruction failure if that defense is not better, just in the experience realm. Um, but what do you say, but when people say, well, if they weren't any good when they were freshmen, you know, they might not be any good as their juniors. I mean, it doesn't work that way in football, I don't think. You get better, you get older, you get stronger, you get more experience. But I think for the defense, just in the normal course of business, they get better. 
How much better, I think, is the question, though. Yeah, and, and I, to answer that question, which is a good one, a uh, good comment, um, I would say that it's easier to be good if you are experienced. Uh, it's, it's harder to be good if you're running a lot of, you know, freshmen and sophomores out there, particularly in the trenches. Uh, if, you know, you've been around offensive lines and defensive lines, as I have, that, you know, maybe the oldest person on the line is, you know, a true sophomore. You know, uh, I mean, uh, I remember one year Bunning, I can't remember the player's name, and probably it's good that I can't. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but um, we had a guy starting at defensive tackle that was a true freshman anyway, he weighed 260 pounds in Power 5 football. I mean, uh, so, yeah, it's going to be easier to be good if you've been in a strength and conditioning program for three or four years, especially in the trenches, which I think is that's the critical part of this season. So, uh, yes, uh, Hunter Pierce had to answer. It was uh, Kendall High. Yep. That was that, uh, now I'm sure coming back to Tommy's mind now as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, bless his heart. He's, you know, just a baby out there, you know, trying to play defensive tackle. Uh, you know, we've got defensive ends that weigh 270 pounds now, 260 pounds. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be critical, I think, to build some chemistry on both lines. That's always the case with the offensive line, but it's also the case with the defensive line. You know that when they stunt and whatnot, you got to know where you're going. So that, that experience counts. Uh, you could is you're right that being good and being experienced are two different things. But it's just easier to be good when you've had some experience. Yeah, Greg, you good? You back? I think so. We yeah, I had to, I had to sub in for you and, uh, <laughs> while you dropped dropped out. We were talking about the experience deal. Vip, let me ask you this, and then, Greg, I want to get your take on it because I was going to you, and then you vanished on me. You're like, I'm not answering that, and dipped out. Vip, how how big a deal is it to have multiple years in a system? Chiswick's defense was, well, we talked about it last year. It was relatively simple. That's what they were talking about. Versus now, they've had a year in it. Chiswick's had a year back in it, which I think is important. Um, how important is that for players to get a full understanding and be able to play and not be thinking about what they're talking about or what they're trying to do? Yeah, you hit it there. It's it's a massive difference because you're you're less thinking out there and more just reacting. Carolina has recruited a lot of great athletes, and if you can take away that thinking part and just let them be great athletes on the field, there the the end product is going to look a lot better. And I was laughing earlier when you were asking Buck the question, the, the defense uh, has to be better. I mean, it, it can't get much worse than what the defense was last year. And I think the Carolina defense is, is hanging their hat on one, a lot of experience. Um, Cedric Gray is an all-American caliber defender on that defense. You look at the, the numbers the defense has last year and – 
it, it kind of hides how great of a player Cedric Ray really was and, and how much of an impact he made on that defense because they were still a defense ranked in the hundreds. I think Carolina is looking at a lot of their um, losses from the secondary um, as addition by subtraction. Um, you have somebody like Elijah Huzzy who comes in, who everybody's raved about him before he even steps on the field for training camp, training camp practice. And then I think Carolina's kind of hanging their hat on uh, Ted Monachino's influence on the defense. And, and when you factor all those things in, I think that's why a lot of people are pointing at this defense is going to be better, but better significantly better because the bar, again, was, was so low last year. Greg, uh, on the experience, and the question I asked Buck when you um, lost us for a minute was, you would figure just by osmosis that guys would get better, you know, just having another year, getting stronger in the system and all to Vip's point, you couldn't get much worse. You've been all over the stats and the numbers, um, you know, as far as the course of last year, but as far as this defensive play, talent's not an issue. I don't think, um, is it a simple fact of Chiswick getting another year with these guys and getting guys comfortable in the system? Is that what helps make the leap, or does or or hearing how terrible you are for a year now, getting guys' heads and make them want to to be better? You know, Cedric Gray, I think mentioned at ACC Media Day. I can't remember if he mentioned it on the podium or at the breakout sessions. Said, you know, he virtually gets tired of hearing it hurts him when they talk about how bad they are. You know, how much of a factor is that for them, Greg? Is you know, you don't want to hear it, then play better. Yeah, there, there's a lot of directions we could go with this. And let me say this first. Um, I really think probably the thing that surprised me the most this offseason, and I believe it was Cedric that was talking about this, was how last year at times uh, maybe they weren't all on the same page and maybe didn't exactly know what they should be doing defensively. And that led to some of the early issues. And the reason that's surprising is if you go back to 2015 when Gene first came in, he was very clear, hey, this is a three-year process. The first year, we're going to put in our base stuff, and we're going to uh, install. And if one person on defense doesn't get it or has a question, we're stopping. And we're making sure everybody is caught up and understands what we want. And by the time we get to the end of training camp, uh, we will know how much of an install we did. And so by the end of the year, that's, that's one of the comments that, that I was told after the season is that when the defense was kind of searching for things to do against Clemson and Baylor uh, and giving up a lot of points in those games, it was like, well, Gene can't draw up plays in the dirt. You know, the guys only know so much. 2016, he added more plays. And then by the time 2017 came around, the full defense was in. Um, and I'd asked Gene about that. Uh, before he started last year. I said, are you going to take the similar process of of going slow, being simple, making sure everybody understands? He said, yep, so the plan's exact same. So I, I found that very, very interesting. Uh, that being said, I think what Gene does is is pretty simple. Um, I don't think there's a, there's a whole lot to it that should be confusing. I, I certainly buy into the idea that the guys are a little bit older there's a ton of experience on this, this roster, both sides of the ball, uh, and that should help. Uh, but let me give you some numbers 
uh, that kind of highlights some of my concerns with the defensive line. Do you because have I, to? Do you I have do. to really? I do. I, I think this is important. I think this is important for people to understand. There, there seems to be a lot of conversation that, hey, the secondary has got some better pieces. As Taylor said, you know, it's, it's addition by subtraction. Got a new corners back coach in. Secondary is going to be a lot better. Therefore, the defense is going to be a lot better. Uh, and I think all of us can agree that if the defensive line doesn't make a significant step forward, they're going to be issues. So, so here's some numbers for you. This is just defensive line. Uh, last year, North Carolina was 130th in sack rate. The defensive line got sacks 3% of the time on rush plays. That's terrible. Uh, 119th in sack rate on passing downs. Uh, let's see. They were 110th in stuff rate which is on a running play if you stop the running back at or behind the line of scrimmage. Not very good there. And then they were 114th in opportunity rate. And what that means is, is does a uh, running back get four yards if four yards are possible to get? And all, uh, opponents were able to do that 52% of the time. So if a team could get four yards running the ball, they did that more than half the time. Uh, when we get into the red zone, okay, we, we know that North Carolina was not good defensively in the red zone. They're 125th in red zone touchdown percentage. Let's boil it down a little bit closer. We talk about goal to go. So the only chance the team has to get another first down is a touchdown. North Carolina was 130th in goal to go touchdown efficiency. Out of team, how many? Out of 131. Yeah. Team scored touchdowns. Yay! We beat somebody. 93% of the time when they had first and goal. Touchdowns when they had first and goal. 93% you know, of the time. It, it, let me stop here for a second and, and say this. Last year, I, I know I know that uh, Vip and I did believe this, and I, I think Tommy and Greg believed it as well. When Chiswick came on as defensive coordinator. We're thinking back to 2015, and he made an immediate difference in that defense from 2014. It was night and day difference, first year. Plus, that 2015 uh, defense had nowhere near the talent that he was walking into when he stepped into the Keenan Football Center. Vipolis, I, I know I'm speaking for you, but you nod if you think I'm wrong, uh, that we were sure that with this amount of talent, Gene Chiswick walking in, you know, he was going to make an immediate right-of-way difference in the defense. And it went the other way. It went the other direction. It got worse from uh, uh, 2021. So that's why Viplis is sitting there looking like he does and why I'm talking like I am is because we don't want to say anything about the defense. Is there any chance it's going to be better? You're not going to hear me say that because I just went through this a year ago. And y'all can correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. No, I think you're right. And I'm getting to my point, Buck. Um, I know I'm, I'm just throwing out numbers at the moment. One more team number, then I'll give you some individual numbers, which is where we're going with the defensive line. This stat right here is mind-boggling to me. 
In the red zone last year, Gene Chizik blitzed on 47% of passing plays in the red zone in 14 games. Do you know how many sacks North Carolina had on those blitz plays? Well, it didn't have but 17 Zero. the entire year. <laughs> Can you believe Zero. that? I'm... Zero sacks. Yeah. When... <laughs> um, okay, so. I went for about... maximum shock factor, and I was still shocked. <laughs> Right. I'm, I guess my point is 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 like how does how does it happen? That's what I, I would love to know how this happens. Correct. So here here's the thing: is it is it a scheme matter? Right? Is it Gene Chizik just not scheming up? He he's forgotten football. He, he took five years off and just forgot what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that's a stretch, right? I mean, he he's a national champion both as a defensive coordinator and as a head coach. The guy knows football. But let's look at some of the defensive pressure numbers for the players, okay? So for the defensive pressure rate is number of defensive pressures per pass rush. That's how that's tabulated. The FBS average last year was 11%. So the average pass rusher, basically one out of every 10 pass rushes got pressure. That doesn't mean he got a sack. That means he just put pressure on the quarterback. Um, When you start going through all the players in the FBS, uh, this should not surprise anybody, but UNC's first player on that list is Power Eccles. He was 80th in the country at 28.6%. That's really good. One out of every four times he he rushed, he made an impact. Uh, then you go down, we get all the way to 147, and that's Cedric Gray at 23.3. Again, that's really good. But then we have to start scrolling. And we scroll and we scroll and we scroll and we scroll. And we get down to 517th, and that's Noah Taylor at 10.9% pressure rate. Now, remember, the FBS average is 11%. Uh, right behind him, about the same numbers, was Kamon Rucker at 10.9. And then we got to start scrolling again. And we get down to 686th. That's uh, Javari Ritzy at 8.5% pressure rate. And then we start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and we get down to 926th in FBS, and that's Miles Murphy at 4.6%. So is it a scheme issue, or is it a matter that there's some guys that have good resumes in terms of recruiting rankings on the roster who just have not lived up to that potential quite yet? Um, you talk about 2015, Dwan Drennan was a redshirt freshman on that team. And I feel like he made more of an impact than a lot of the guys that we've talked about who are juniors and seniors now uh, the last couple years. So I really – does Gene deserve some of the you know, criticism? Of course, he's, he's the defensive coordinator. Uh, but they've got to have some guys who are able to make plays in a one-on-one situation. You have to be able to impact the game and other than those linebackers and, and you know, came on Rucker on occasion, we are just not seeing it out of that defensive front. And that's why some of those guys have to take significant steps forward this year, even though they're juniors and seniors and haven't done it quite yet. Yeah, all those all those numbers really back the the eye test for what you were watching last year defensively. And the reason why I don't think it it's the scheme is exactly like you guys mentioned. The, the 2015 team and the 2016 team for UNC had that, that same defensive philosophy, but 
2015 scoring defense was 42nd in the country. 2016 scoring defense was 43rd in the country. I think it, it comes down to two factors. I think the quote-unquote talent just hasn't lived up to what um, you would have thought you would have gotten when you look at some of these recruiting profiles from some of these players. And I think where where the coaches are at the most fault is that there's some kind of disconnect from the defensive coordinator to the position coaches to the players where where something is just there there's just a massive disconnect in, in what they're trying to teach and what they're trying to do where you have people like Cedric Rice say yeah there were times last year where we didn't know what they were doing well anybody from that 2015 defense can tell you that first year it was as simple as simple could be so the fact that players can come out and say like we didn't know what to do we we weren't lined up correctly those weren't problems that just coach Chizik had last year those were problems that um you saw when in the previous regime at, at defensive coordinator and you you start to look at like what what are the common factors and it, it's that there seems to be some kind of disconnect between your defensive coordinator your position coaches and the players that are out there executing and that's why I, i'm with buck uh this defense, before I, I say one good word about this defense outside of Cedric Ray, they're they're gonna have to prove it because it, it's hard to take any anybody's word um when when you list off all those stats and, and it, it passes the eye test. And and just so we're clear and we're all on the same page, Greg, those numbers you were kicking out were for the season. They included App State and Notre Dame. Um and I'm sure we could Figure out a way to pull that game out um, because that's the one everybody talks about. But at any rate, that is 14 games for the season. You know, the, what is it, Buck? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. You look like you were chomping at the bit to get in on that. I, I don't know if I've ever seen Buck Sanders as much of a show-me guy as you are right now. Uh, have well, you just finally learned after all these years? No, I, I don't think that's it. I think that, uh, as I was saying before, uh, you know, we had the experience of 2015 of, of Chiswick walking in the building, and it was like a light switch went off, and, and everything that was bad the year before was suddenly good. So that's what I expected to some degree, and maybe a little better because he had more talented players. And when you have uh, the time and the inclination, if you so uh, desire, you can go back and look at uh, some of Gene's uh, press conferences from last summer uh, during, and during the spring and during the fall camp and right in the week of the FAMU game. Now, not that he would do this, but he gave off no impression that he was concerned about the defense at all. He, it was like, yes, we're learning. We're getting the fundamentals down. Uh, we're not exactly where we want to be yet, but we're really getting better, and it's, they're coming together. And blah. But maybe that's what you would expect the coach to say, and it's probably naive of me to, to even think that he would say anything different. But he gave off no – you know, if that, if that was me and I knew or, or suspected – that I was going to be 130th or worse in a bunch of different categories, I would have got in front of that camera and I'd been sweating like a mule. I mean, I wouldn't have left ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, he didn't give off any clue that there was anything suspicious, anything wrong with the defense at all. We have some extremely large, talented players, and I'm excited to work with these guys, and we have so many of them, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my powder dry uh, this season until I see some results on the field. Hunter Pierce makes an interesting comment in the chat there. I, I haven't looked to to back it up, but he says that 200, 2015 DL coach has a couple of national championship rings at the moment. Um, so, and, and we're talking, this is the pre-camp, pre-training camp roundtable in Inside Carolina. Of course, it might be a long one tonight, folks, so stick with us. But, Greg, I want to ask you this. What constitutes reasonable improvement? Reasonable improvement versus what would make people happy, in your, in your opinion. And I say people, the fan base, whatever. I mean, it's all about winning football games. They win 14 football games and give up 50 points a game. I don't think anybody's talking about it. Go. No, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, no doubt about it. And so it's, uh, you know, when you look at the, the talent level, uh, and I know people have kind of uh, turned against that idea, which I don't quite get, but – North Carolina last year, we don't have the, the numbers yet for this year, but for 2022, Carolina was 16th in the 247 sports talent uh, composite. That's a lot of talent, and a lot of that's on the, the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, it's not like completely skewed and like it was at times under Larry Fedora. Um, and so when you look at that, you're like, well, geez, like there's no reason for this defense not to be – Top 50, top 40. Um, but, you know, who knows? To your point, I think it's a good one, Tommy, is what fans want to see is a defense uh, that can can operate by itself and doesn't have to have the offense to bell it out time and time and time again. Um, and so maybe that's only 60th in the country. Maybe that's 70th whatever that equilibrium is where you're doing just enough to allow Drake may to, to pull this team to victories. That's all it needs to happen. Right. I mean, I think it's that simple. Uh, I think Gene Chizik has some leeway, but you can't rank 105th. That's not good enough for what North Carolina wants to be able to do in Drake May's last year. Uh, so it's somewhere between 40th and 80th, I think. Uh, and it just kind of depends on what the results are. If the if the offense gets better under Chip Lindsey, well, there's less pressure on Gene Chizik, right? But if if there's a little bit of a learning curve there for what Chip wants to do, the defense needs to be able to step up early because that, that opening stretch is, is not easy. Hey, you guys know I'm the sunshine guy. Um, the defense made some plays. Miami, Boykins make a play. Duke, Will Hardy makes a play on a tip ball. Um you know, we can debate the Oregon game. Um, some people say Oregon didn't try until the last drive, whatever. It doesn't work that way. They look pretty good against them. I don't know. You know, I, I just remember having this conversation after Florida A&M, and we were all like, well, that didn't look right, you know, against that team. And, uh, and then, of course, everybody says App State skews everything, and it does to a certain extent. But like I said earlier, the numbers are season-long numbers. Uh, let me take a second. Do Johnny T-shirt read before I forget it. We're 41 minutes into this. Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Sponsors of Inside Carolina Podcast. Great friends of 
you, the Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. You get 10% off your order. If you're not a member of the Inside Carolina Premium message boards, Buckle agree with this. I don't know what people are doing. If you follow North Carolina, there is no reason not to be a member of Inside Carolina Premium boards. For one, you get Don Callahan in recruiting. You get Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran and Joey and all them on the basketball side. Um, but you get the 10% off and you get Jason Staples stuff. Everybody's talking about Jason's evaluations. That's premium stuff, man. And that's what you need to be getting inside Carolina premium for. And then it supports Johnny T-shirt because you're going to you're gonna want to go to Johnny T-shirt and get your discount. Take care of alumni owned and operated. National guys will pay the bills. It's the pre-training camp roundtable at Inside Carolina. Football season is here. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, boys, it is uh, about quarter to ten on the East Coast. Where do we go from here, Buck? I'm I'm tired of I'm tired of talking about the defense. To be honest, I'm, well, I, I'm sort of like I'm going to still talk about it. Um, <laughs> and, You're the boss, and, so you talk about whatever I, you want. I, I, I just want to uh, go back to the question that you just uh, posed to Greg: What would be enough? And so here's a fun exercise for you. <clears throat> The uh, ESPN FPI ranks your offense, your defense, and your special teams, and they assign a numerical value to offense, defense, and special teams. And last year, uh, North Carolina got 31 points for their defense because they ranked 118 according to the FPI. The team below them was Syracuse. Syracuse ranked 40th. They got 61 points, which was 30 more than North Carolina had. You add that 30 points to North Carolina's 60 points, they would have been number two in the nation with Syracuse's defense. Add those numbers up in your spare time, Greg. I know you got some. So... uh, So, uh, but that's that's how it, we would have been behind, right with Alabama, above Alabama, I think, just below Georgia, had we had a defense. Now, am I saying we would have been that good? No, I'm not not going to say that. But the numbers that ESPN uses, if we had Syracuse's defense, we'd have ranked number two in the nation. Lies, damn so lies, and that's, statistics. That's, that's, there they are. That's my last word on the on the uh, defense, by the way. And I also wanted on the record that I have inside Carolina premium for buck stops here. 
Absolutely. That <laughs> is you didn't Bellamy, even mention. Yeah. You didn't even mention it, and he's right here. Yeah, uh, Buck stops here. <laughs> it is a a triweekly column that pretty much nails it every time. And I learn a lot of. You have to get my dictionary out when Buck sends his column in for me to post up. I have to. I got to get my movie knowledge and my dictionary out. So uh, yes, Buck stops here. Probably the number one thing on. Tar Pit Premium. Let's talk offense. There's a lot of questions. I'm going to get straight into the questions. Um, who wants the first question? I'll let Slagle go first. What will I see be watching closest in fall practice? I'm going to do it on the offensive side of the ball. Vip, offensively, what are you looking at first? I'm biased. I'm always watching the receivers. I'm going to be watching who looks like the third starting receiver. Tez Walker, Nate McCollum, you can pencil those two in as your starting receivers. Carolina went out in the transfer portal, identified those as the best talent to to bring to Chapel Hill. It's not a case of what is, what does Carolina have with those? They have two starting caliber receivers and those two guys. So then it's going to be what does Carolina look to do? Do they put somebody in the slot and have Nate McCollum out wide with Tez Walker? Does Nate McCollum stay in the slot? Does J.J. Jones start on the outside? Kobe Pesor. Um, you have Gavin Blackwell, Andre Green Jr. There's a lot of names for Carolina for that third spot. Um, but like like um, uh, guests on the Players Lounge said this week, you only have three spots for your starting receivers. All of them want it. Um, and, and it's going to be a, a good battle, I think, as as camp develops. And it's going to be important to see who, who Drake's thrown to. Yeah, JJ said, you know, I asked him the question about you're you're one of the top returners and they bring in two transfers. What's that like? And he said, Hey, you gotta you gotta basically gotta fight for your right to play. And he's one of those guys. I, I tell you what, and and Buck, you can chime in here on the offense. There's some angst on the offensive side of the ball. I don't I don't get it. I d I don't feel it any. What are you thinking in your sort of your 10,000 foot view with this offense. I, I don't, I don't think the offense will be an issue. Now, if it's the first 10 game offense or if it's the last four game offense, and we can debate why that was the case, um, but, but your take overall on the offense. And then what are you going to be watching for first in camp? I think the, the running backs are the, uh, should be the focus. Uh, I think we know what we got in Drake may and the receivers. Um, they're going to be good. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they lost uh, Downs, huge loss. They lost Green, huge loss. But the next eight leading receivers after those two are back. And they add uh, Terrence Walker and uh, Nate McCollum. So they're going to be fine with receivers and with Drake. Uh, I think the thing that they need to get going and, and to be really be a better offense is to be able to run the ball and have the bell cow running back and a couple of them, you know, that you, you can count on that's going to get you three, four, five yards when you need it and uh, break off some big runs, get it some explosive plays in the running game, um, wear teams down. You look at some of the running backs they have on the team. They got three of them that are just slobber knockers. I mean, they're like 230 pounds, and 
uh, strong and they look like they were made by the same firm that built Stonehenge. And in, they're playing behind an offensive line that averages about 320. They should be able to make a little, you know, a few gains on the ground. Uh, so that, that's the number one thing. And I, that's the thing I don't think that was sorted out in the spring. So you're gonna, we're going to have to see where Caleb Hood fits in. We're going to see where British Brooks fits in. We're going to have to see how uh, Elijah Green fits in. And by the way, the players' lounge, which Elijah Green was just awesome. If you haven't seen that, you need to go look at it. That was a really good players' lounge. Uh, I'm yeah. pulling for that kid. Uh, but uh, in, in the meantime, that's got to sort get sorted out, is my opinion. So, uh, Tommy, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with Buck there, and I'll give you some, some numbers to kind of back that up. I know there's a lot of criticism of Longo and – uh, his inability to, to run the ball. And while I do agree that it's somewhat simplistic and he did rely on Drake May a little bit too much last year, uh, I, I think the numbers are telling about the talent pool that he had to work with last year. Uh, if we go back to, to 2020, which was a great year for Carolina's offense with Javante Williams and Michael Carter, uh, UNC averaged 4.12 yards after contact. Uh, and 4.38 yards after contact in ACC play. In 2021, with Ty Chandler doing the bulk of the carries, Carolina averaged 3.94 yards after contact, 4.13 in ACC play. Pretty good. Last year, Carolina averaged 3.06 yards after contact and 2.9 in ACC play. So in ACC play alone, if you compare 2022 and 2020, it's about a yard and a half per carry difference in yards after contact. So if you look at the fact that uh, Carolina ran the ball 420 times in 2020, that's about 622 yards in ACC play alone, just in that little bit of a difference in yards after contact. That's significant. Um, the other part of that that kind of plays a role 2020, uh, UNC had 159 forced missed tackles in 12 games, 156 in 13 games in 2021. Last year in 14 games, 83. So you've got running backs uh, who are not able to get yards after contact. They're not breaking tackles. And granted, I know British Brooks was injured last year. Uh, Caleb Hood got hurt too, so you're relying on some younger guys and some inexperienced guys. But that really hampered the offense. So it wasn't just Phil Longo. It was that he did not have the horses to really elevate the run game. And I think that's going to be the most important thing for this offense, to Buck's point, is really finding one or two guys in training camp to say, hey, we trust them. They're going to be able to pick up the extra yards that we were lacking last year. Well, like they've talked about, you got – you know, somebody steps up, Caleb Hood steps up against App, makes a great run, pulls a hamstring. You got, uh, you know, British Brooks out for the year. That Those numbers that you kind of talked about there with the broken tackles, they sort of played themselves out there in that Orange Bowl, right? Because yeah. if, if they break some of those tackles that Javante and Michael Carter break, Carolina wins that game easy um, down the stretch, I think. 
Yeah. Um, and so it sort of played itself out. VIP is, is I've always said, I just want to see Carolina have the ability to line up. We're running the football right here. It doesn't matter what you do. Is that a running back thing? Is it an offensive line thing? That specific, being able to run it when everybody in the building knows we're going to run it. That's what I want Chip Lindsey to show us. What I want to see from Randy Clements. I don't know how you do it in spring in fall camp. You need to do it against South Carolina on September second. Your take on the line and, and the running game. It's a combination of things, but if I had to pick one or the other, I would say it's more so on the running backs because at this level, the offensive line is going to create enough gaps to be um, a, a pretty good running team. But you need backs with that special kind of vision to take a, an average offensive line and, and make them look good. Like I don't think Carolina's offensive line when they had Michael Carter or Javante Williams was, you know, superb. And I don't think Carolina's offensive line has taken like a massive step back. You just had two running backs, two NFL quality running backs um, with elite vision, elite speed, elite cuts running the ball. And I think you saw it um, th- like 2015, 2016, when you have guys like TJ Logan and Elijah hood, they're playing behind good offensive lines, but nothing like unbelievable. But if, even if you do have a great offensive line and, and you don't have the best running backs, it's going to be tough for them to, to, have the vision to to break plays and it's it's with the with a great running back it's normally the difference between uh like a five six yard rush or or one that goes for 40 plus and breaks for a touchdown so uh push comes to shove i'm going this is more on the running backs because offensive line it's it's a position where i think you you have a little bit more leeway with some of the looks you get in the protections yeah, Barry Sanders is the only running back I've ever seen to be able to get yards on a bad offensive line. But I do like the point that, I mean, the offensive line's average was pretty much like the rest of them in college football, save the, a few of them. The running back's got to make plays. Let me ask you this. Let's go around the room. And, and folks asking for numbers, we're going to have an over-under podcast closer to the season. We'll have the prediction podcast closer to the season. Jason Staples will be on that one. Buck will have his hourglass, um, his minute glass handy for that but let me ask a question here in the chat uh greg ward ask start with you greg who you think the top two running backs will be going into the season health is a major issue but if you had to pick two right now from what you've seen from this team who would they be i think it's going to be uh elijah green and, and british brooks uh i'll leave it at that Bill. Um, hmm. I'll go Hampton and uh, Hood out of training camp. Yeah. But what you think? I'm I'm going to go with uh, Brooks and uh, Hampton out of training camp. I think they're going to go with a a big. When he said the two plus one, mm-hmm. um, a theory. I think two backs are going to be big backs that sub in for each other and the, the other back will be Petaway um, before the season's over with. I, I love Elijah Green, but Petaway's got some special skills that I think is going to get him on the field um, more often this year. Two thumpers and a scat. I mean, that would that would work. Kobe Jones asked, and uh, what do y'all think, not necessarily schematically, but tendencies with the offense change? Greg, I'll, I'll just start around the horn again with you. 
one thing that drove people nuts is, especially in the NC State game, it really reared its head is run it on first down, up the gut, run it on second, up the gut, let Drake make a play. What do you, what do you think? How do you think Lindsey and Clements and the run game, Freddie Kitchens run game folks, how do you think all that changes for this offense? If it does. Well, I think it matters a lot with the running backs, right? Because if you look at what Carolina did last year, the primary success running the ball was on the edges. That's where they had the, the majority of their success. And a lot of that was Drake. They want to be able to run power. You know, Longo wanted to do that. Uh, and just didn't really was, was not able to get it done last year. And yeah, it was a little bit too vanilla probably, but I, I think what will help the, the run game more than anything is that uh, Larry Fedora really was big on the idea of you know, uh, short passes, long gains, and he loved screen passes. And Longo did not. And so I really think we'll see a, uh, some new screen pass game that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. And I, I think that will be an extension of the run game, and that, that should help a lot. And when you've got you know, different options uh, there at the slot receiver and McCollum and Pesor and some of those guys, I think you can get creative, and that takes a lot of pressure off the run game. You got to love when people get in chat. I was going to say earlier, we hadn't seen the porn bots lately on our YouTube chat, but now we got people like making screen names and talking smack. Just so silly. Anyway, tote that ban. Buck Sanders, we never talk about the tight ends. John Copenhaver um, went to Media Day. He was the special teams uh, representative. Obviously, he had Drake, Cedric. Offense, defense, and then Copenhaver. But Copenhaver is the tight end that can do about everything. Um, your thought on that room? I mean, Freddie Kitchens has walked into one of the most talented rooms in the conference. Um, how do you think they're utilized different? I, I think, I think if you're a tight end, and as much as Sam Howell was was great at North Carolina, Drake May met his tight ends in game one and never left them. How do you think that room shakes out, but Well, you know, the thing about – I think all three of them are a little different, right? I mean, they're different players. I think uh, Kamari Morales is sort of a uh, H-back split zone kind of guy. Uh, and that um, Copenhaver is sort of an inline tight end. There's an attached tight end. And then Nesbitt, you can – you can put him in a slot if you want to, or you can split him out wide. Uh, you can do a lot of different things with Nesbitt. So even though that uh, there's three of them, I think they each bring a little something different to the table that um, makes life would make life hard on defensive coordinators. That uh, You've got to have players that can meet the challenge that each one of those guys brings individually. And I think we'll see uh, some um, – 12 personnel this year with two tight ends. We saw some of it from Longo last year. So I think they'll uh, still do a little bit of 12 personnel and maybe a little bit more uh, next year, particularly when they get closer to get into red zone. Vip, your take on this offense. Um, you can start with the tight ends. We, we talked about everything. Um, just overall, Lindsey comes in. Uh, you know, it's, it's a Freddie Kitchens. I said it comes in with the best room in the nation. Maybe Chip Lindsey comes in with the best room in the nation with Drake May in there. Um, how much pressure is on Lindsey to keep it rolling? I know it's a it's a group thing, but Lindsey is now the offensive coordinator. 
I would think if there's any coach on this staff, maybe he's got the most pressure. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think the the coaches with the most pressure right now are all on the defensive side of the ball. But if there was a coach with pressure on the offensive side of the ball, it would be Chip Lindsey. You could say what you want about Phil Longo, but he did uh, produce top 25 offenses year in and year out. And he had quarterbacks like Sam Howell and Drake May. And that was Carolina's strength for for this entirety of Mac Brown, Mac Brown 2.0 tenure in Chapel Hill. Um, but I will say the tight ends, I think Carolina has as good a tight end room as any team um, in the ACC. You have a quarterback like Drake May, who's the best quarterback in the ACC. You, you have a lot of unproven guys at the running back position, but you still have a lot of uh, supposed talent um, from what we have seen. I think Tez Walker, Nate McCollum are going to be first team, all ACC caliber players this year. So, and I, I think from from a coaching perspective, where fans can be a bit optimistic, I think this staff, as it's currently constructed, is going to be uh, more willing to to take what the defense is giving them um, and not rely so heavily on, on Drake May to bail them out in week in and week out. Um, and I, I also think that besides just taking – what the defense is giving them. I think this staff is also going to be more willing to try new things like, like moving Drake out of the pocket, which a lot of people have been asking for in this Carolina offense um, with, with a poor offensive line or with a below average offensive line and not just making your quarterback stationary targets back there and doing things like shifting the pocket to, to keep defensive coordinators on their toes. Um, so I, I think, Chip Lindsay does have a lot of pressure, but with all the pieces around him, it, it feels like uh, a, a pretty tough situation to mess up, especially with a Heisman caliber quarterback. Yeah, and when you talk about moving the pocket, it's moving the pocket intentionally. Yeah. Not Drake May running around because he has to go. It's moving it and rolling him out, things like that. And, of course, Jason's been all over that stuff, talking about Drake and the evaluation and all. Um, we can talk about special teams, you know, they're a huge part of the game. We never give them enough. I think Ryan Coe will be the kicker. I guess Ben Kiernan is still the punter. Would be cool to see uh, the new fella, the new Aussie out there, the one that said the building is not big enough. We have to get uh, Tom Sheldon on a podcast. Yes, we need to do that. And uh, Wherever he is in Australia right we'll, now. We'll finally really get the take. But anyway, Buck, um, before I start popping out questions here, and I want to get these folks who have submitted questions in the chat, um, any closing thoughts on our portion of the show? Buck Sanders, mm -hmm. you're up. You got to make closing a difference thoughts. Here. I, I think that, uh, you know, the whole coaching staff, Mac Brown on down, is under pressure this year. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, pulling the, uh, the hook on, on Mac or anything, but that's a lot of pressure. He's got an experienced team. He's uh, got the staff that he wants. Uh, he's given Chiswick, Charlton Warren, and uh, Jason Jones. Uh, he's put all the pieces in place that he thinks is necessary to, to make 2023 a special year. Normally, I would not say this, but 8-4 would be a disappointment to me. 
with, with the talent that he has on this team. And he's been here five years. These are his players. It's his coaching staff. Um, he's, he's gotten a lot of what he's asked for. Um, walked into a situation where there was a new indoor arena just sitting there and hadn't even got the shiny rubbed off of it. So I, I do think that the entire coaching staff, Mac down, um, it should be under pressure. Whether they are or not is a different question, but I think they should be. Greg, you want to give me some overall thoughts before I start popping off these questions? You want me to go straight to them? I think that's a, I think that's an interesting conversation. We don't have to have it right now. Uh, I think Mac's response to Buck there would be, we won nine games last year for only the second time since 97. So think, eight would be a disappointment, right? <laughs> I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying that's, that's how uh, some are kind of framing it of this is what Carolina has been. Like eight wins or nine wins is still really good for what Carolina is. And I kind of look at it the same lens you do, Buck, of like forget the past. What does this team have in terms of capabilities? Uh, and I, I think that's a – we've had that a little bit on the board over the summer, but I think that's an interesting conversation as we head into the, the fall. Tommy, I do have a trivia question for those watching on YouTube that they can uh, try to answer by the end of the show. Here's the question. In 2022, uh, I want you to rank these four teams from best to worst in running play efficiency on third and short. Those four teams are Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan. Well, the, uh, it's obviously a trick question. It's got to be UNC, right? <laughs> it was to put the chat. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put them in order. Got to put them. Oh, in order. you got to put them in order. Okay. Well, yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> All right. Let's. Uh, so that's for the chat. Rank those teams in order, per Greg's questions. All right. Let's get into the the chat questions. I'm gonna read them out. I don't know how many I will get to, but we'll get to as many as we can. Preston from Greensboro, a regular. Uh, Preston, you might want to join us on the Noon Dish Tuesday. Uh, I guess, no. Yeah, Noon Dish tomorrow, Tuesday with Don and I. Should be a pretty good show. With a relatively older team, will the backups get more rep, reps this camp or will starters get the majority of the reps? VIP. Is there any reason for Drake May to get all the reps? Or is it a good time to get a guy like Connor Harrell a bunch of reps and, and other positions? I think quarterback's a little different than everywhere else. But how do you think they'll divvy the reps in camp? Yeah, I don't I don't think you split your reps up depending on players' experience. Um maybe maybe in the spring when Carolina's trying to do things like like protect Cedric Gray or protect somebody like Power Eccles, knowing that they're gonna play 90, 95% of snaps this season. But with as close as you are to the season, I, I think every every rep kind of matters for those guys and building the chemistry of guys that you're going to have out there on September 2nd, whenever Carolina kicks off against South Carolina, where I, I don't think you could really jeopardize and just say, Oh, we have one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Let's, let's not get him as many reps as he might've gotten last year going into camp, especially when you are mixing in new receivers and, and new running backs and 
new tight ends to a, to a certain extent of guys that maybe have never all played together at once, where I think you you have to approach it like, like you don't know who's playing and you're trying to just find your best 11 every time out there. I agree with that. John Grisham, send me some autograph book there, Mr. Grisham, talking about interesting names. Greg, this is directly to you. Um, just so you can expound on your article. You pointed out in your article, this team needs to increase margin of victory to truly contend and get young guys playing time in garbage time. I think that was the biggest thing. It's sort of been a Carolina thing across both major sports of late is not being able to have a lead enough to get depth reps in games. Your thoughts there, um, especially as Max said, this is the toughest schedule. He says it's the toughest schedule he's had early. Um, how does how do they manage to do that this season? Not have Cedric Gray and Power Echoes playing close to 900 snaps. Well, yeah, that I think that's the that's the big issue for the defense is because that's the one position where you don't have a lot of uh, a lot of experience depth, and you don't want to wear those guys out. Especially, you know, Cedric Gray I think played more snaps than anybody in the ACC last year. Granted, I know he played 14 games. Um, but really, the, the point of that, and we talked about this quite a bit in 2019, Tommy, but when North Carolina was getting ready to play Clemson, uh, Mac really brought up the fact that, that Daryl Royal pulled him aside when he was at Texas and said, look, um, you've got to get to a point where your talent level is so much better than everybody else's because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And if you're expecting them to play their A game every single week, I mean, you're smoking. You're on something. It's not going to happen. And so if you watch you know, every year in a college football, there's like one weekend, maybe two weekends, where the best team in the country is like in a nail-biter, right? Well, that's because they're playing probably their C game. I think Georgia and Missouri maybe was the one last year that I'm thinking of. Um, and what you want is that for your B level or your C level to still be – just as good as another team's A or B level. And Carolina was not there really last year. Carolina had nine games decided by seven points. You're not going to win six of those games consistently. You know, Phil still has a lot of that data dating back 25 years. Uh, and it's like Carolina had three net close wins last year. They were six and three in games decided by seven points or less. Still's data says that 80% of teams – over the years that have done that have the same record or are worse the next year. That tells you just how difficult that is to try to win, you know, 50% of those games. So you have to be better. And that's why talent matters so much. That's why recruiting rankings matter so much is that you're trying to build a buffer and the really good teams do that. So you can have an off game and still win the game. Um, Carolina was not there last year that caught up with them, Right. They lost to Georgia Tech. They shouldn't have lost that game. Lost to State. Shouldn't have lost that game. That's just kind of how it plays out. Um, and so that's – you've got to get good enough. And this kind of goes back to the Clemson point, Tommy. In 2019, we were looking at guys like Tyler Davis, who had a significant impact on the Clemson defensive line, and he played half as many snaps as Aaron Crawford did. Mm -hmm. Why? They had a bunch of other guys that were really good too. And so they could rotate guys, keep them fresh, make them more efficient. And what else does that do? That builds your depth so that when guys leave the next year, you got guys that are experienced and can step in. 
that is part of the program building exercise. And that's where Carolina has kind of stumbled a little bit in the last year or so. I agree there. I mean, that was fascinating that Clemson's D-line guys played half the snaps with Crawford and Strobridge. Yeah. I mean, it was it was incredible. Buck, I'm going to get you in here. Uh, find a good question. I had it. I lost it. Um, I'm going to get back to it. A lot of answers coming in on Greg's questions. Buck, I'll go here. Out of the returning defensive line or defensive players, who do you think is most likely to take the next step? Defense has been your game today, tonight. What players on that defense take a step? I don't think Gray – I mean, he can take another step. He can get better, but he's already up there. Give me a guy that makes some noise that you think will make a difference this year. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Cayman uh, Rucker. Um, I don't think he's played enough snaps. Um, and I think that uh, Jason mentioned this in one of his uh, position analysis after he did the uh, personnel that they could put uh, Rucker on one side of the ball and uh, Gainer on the other in rushing situations. And if, if those two guys can't get to the ball, then what are we doing? You know, uh, uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I think that he can um, – has the opportunity uh, to have sort of a breakout season because we know him. We know all about him. We've seen him play. But uh, on a uh, – like a regional or national media basis, he's not a known quantity. So, I would say Rucker. Good take there. Uh, Vip, last question. And some of these questions in the chat, Jason and I will hit on, on Wednesday night. So if you join us, and I didn't get to your question, ask it again because I'll definitely get Jason to answer it. Um, but I'm going to ask you this one, Vip. Offensive line positions up for grabs. Spencer Rowland and Gaynor seem to be solidified. And, look, they love Spencer Rowland. A year, uh, you know, Ivy League guy, a year in strength and conditioning. He's really stepped up. But is William Barnes the guy left tackle, Vip? Uh, I mean – is is that position up? Is Willie Lampkin going to play? How much does it matter, given what you talked about um, with offensive lines and running backs and things like that earlier? Yeah, I, I think it, it matters to a certain extent for sure. You don't want to trot out a, a subpar offensive line. And I think Carolina's offensive line has the potential to be, you know, at, at least average, average to pretty good with how much experience they have. Uh, I think you, you kind of go into training camp with the mindset that ev- every position is up for grabs. I'm watching the Falcons now pretty heavily because uh, of Mac Hollins being there. But uh, one of the things he was saying, they asked him like, oh, are, are you competing for the wide receiver two spot? And he was like, I'm competing for the wide receiver one. I know Drake London's a great player, but if you go into the into camp mindset with this guy's already has, has his position locked up or if you go into camp with the mindset of, of my position's already locked up, that's that's when, you know, your play can start to dip. You you take reps off. Uh, you're not as mentally as sharp. So I think Carolina kind of goes into it thinking every position is up for grabs. And I think I, I really like what uh, Willie Lampkin projects at, at this level. I know he's kind of undersized for the, for the power five level, but I think he has like the toughness and, and – 
the intangibles to to make up for being undersized. And I think that's the, that's half the battle at the offensive line position is just are you a dog? Do you have that dog mentality? And I think he has that part. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think anybody has positions locked up. I would say Corey Gaynor is probably the closest just because of the the chemistry he has with Drake May. That's that's as solid a, a position that Carolina has right now that that Gaynor will start. But I think for the most part, you, you have to look at it that all these positions are up for grab. I agree. Willie Lampkin, I said, man, you seem so nice, you know, but you, you got such a nasty demeanor on the on the field. He's like, I don't have any friends once I cross that line. And uh, that's what you need in the offensive line. Uh, so folks need to check out the Noon Dish tomorrow at noon. Don Callahan and I joined by a special guest. Be worth the time to check that out. Greg, I'm going to call up some of your, your responses here now. Greg's question was, repeat it. Third and short, or what was it? Running plays, uh, third and short efficiency. Nationally. Nationally, yeah. Nationally. Uh, Jeff goes Michigan, UNC, Bama, Georgia. Man, what kind of Final Four would that be? Uh, Carolina, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama. Michigan, UNC, Georgia, Bama. I saw some more. Who was Who was before Shane? John Fox, Carolina, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama. Ding, 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 ding. So you're telling me that in I'm third and short. Fox? Yeah, that's John Fox. Oh, no. He looks like he's, he's uh, he was he was free tonight, so he he joined us on the chat. <laughs> um, great picture, by the way, Greg. It, how can that be that Carolina's in that mix? Explain it. Well, that's the uh, what was the line you you asked Buck about lies stats lies and damn lies or whatever the hell it was. Um, so Carolina didn't have quite the number of third and short run plays that the other, the other teams did, but Alabama converted 50% of their third and short run plays. Uh, Georgia was right at 60%. Michigan 62. Carolina was at 66.7. Um, and kind of the, the point there is not that Carolina had as good of a running game as those teams. And we all know that's not true. Um, but that everybody has a hard time running when the other team knows you want to run the ball. I think there's just some misconception that, well, if we can't run it when we want to, then what are we doing? Well, the other team's trying to stop you, and they know you're trying to run too. Uh, so it's not not as easy as maybe some think it is. And so um, I say that because I, I see some of the things being said about the offense taking a significant step forward. I think that is an incredible amount of pressure on Chip Lindsey, given how good North Carolina's offense has been the last couple of years. Um, so I just say that to kind of give him some space, and it may take him a year or so to kind of get his offense in. I know he's got one year with Drake. Uh, but it, you know, if his numbers aren't as good as Phil's off the bat, I don't think people should be uh, charging him with, with pitchforks quite yet. It shall be interesting. Vip, you got anything left before we get out of here? No, I don't think Vip's so. It's all good. Shout out to Vip for the help with the players' lounge. Uh, we'll try to do something with those players during the season. Not sure what. Uh, the players' lounges is, of course, on the Inside Carolina YouTube channels. I guess uh, J.J. Jones drops Wednesday. Special guy. Saw him on WRAL hosting sports the other night. J.J. Jones doing his media act 
there with WRAL, and he'll be with us on the Players' Lounge Wednesday. Buck Sanders, as always, it's great to get back in touch with you, my friend. Looking forward to the Day After podcast this year. They're right around the corner. And Greg Barnes, I mean, Greg is just the GOAT, the GOAT of the group. I'm Tommy Ashley. It's been Johnny T-Shirt Special. Tune in live, Noon Dish, tomorrow at noon right here on the YouTube channel. If you missed us or if you're Sean Crowley and you showed up late again, Catch us on the replay, and you know I'm joking with you, Sean. Catch us on the replay and check out Inside Carolina for complete coverage of camp opening on Wednesday. All hands on deck Wednesday. Be a ton of content. Thanks, everyone.